welcome back to another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I'm your host, the Cuban Queen Ben. Guys, you know, we've been hearing about all this acceptance and body acceptance and other thing acceptance and this and that, but my guest, Erica, has something to say about that. She is going to set the record straight. So let's take a moment out and I'll be right back with Erica. So guys, like I was saying, I have Erica Mather and, you know, we all have this thing where we're trying to figure out how we look, how we should look, but Erica's come to set the record straight. So Erica, please introduce yourself to my listeners. Hey, Queen. Hey, listeners. I am Erica Mather. So happy to be here uh, to set the record straight. I feel a little nervous. Um, I hope I can do that. <laughs> oh, you will, you will, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Okay, no, okay cool. No, don't worry about it. We're all here. We all have issues. We all have things that are you know, those imperfections that we think someone's staring at, you know, no, one, no one's staring at it. That's one of the things I've learned. Nobody's staring at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. For the most part, uh, uh, for the most part, people are very absorbed in their own world and their own problems. They're not looking at your, I don't know, whatever, bat wing, muffin top. I don't know. What, what, what do people what are people freaking out about these days? Thigh gap, absence of? I, I, You know, the funny thing is, I think we have so many things that I don't even know what people are freaking out over. So what made you decide that, hey, I'm going to talk about body image? Well, like you said, everybody seems to have this problem. And I'm a teacher. Uh, so a little bit, bit of background on me. I'm, uh, I'm a yoga teacher and yoga therapist in New York City. And I like to solve problems. That's what I like to do. And I like to help people. And I like to solve some of the problems they're encountering. And as a yoga therapist, the, the primary problem we're dealing with is people's bodies. For the most part, the bodies kind of it is the first object that you encounter in the physical world as, as yourself and the first way that people perceive you. And I have my own body image issues like forever. And, and I wanted to help my people solve a problem. And the kind of the funny thing about yoga is yoga is like this, this magical, <laughs> uh, undiscerning medicine that you can just sprinkle here or sprinkle there and something's going to get better, but, but it, it's hard to say exactly what's going to get better. So like, imagine if you went to the drugstore and you're like, so, um, I have a problem and, uh, and they were like, here, just take this catch all thing. That right, we'll see, right. right. That's sort of like yoga. It's like, it's hard to say how it works. It's hard to say what outcomes you're going to receive, you know, and it might be like, well, maybe it'll solve your problem. Maybe it won't, but try it. You'd be like, mm, maybe not. Can you give me some more specific direction? Right. And right. Yeah. So it's, it's a funny thing. And I wanted to provide some more specific direction on the problems that yoga can solve and outcomes for people around their body image seem to improve exponentially when they do yoga, people report more, um, more satisfaction with themselves, more acceptance of themselves, more resiliency around other people's nitpicking them because families can be that way. And I think coming out of the pandemic, you know, everybody's going to see people they haven't seen for a long time and maybe they lost some and maybe they gained some and people always feel compelled to say something about your body. Like what? <laughs> Just leave right, it alone. Right, Just leave right. it alone. So, um, so I wanted to solve a specific problem and I thought this is a problem that, that I could really help people with. So okay. I wrote the book. I wrote the book is kind of like a curriculum for if you have this problem, here's a step-by-step -step guide for how you could overcome it. Also what I found in the area of body images, there's a lot of like inspirational memoirs 
Uh, but there's oh. not a lot of, yeah, there's not a lot of actual, here's how to, you know? So if you go and you read a memoir, like that might be uplifting, like, oh, you know, if Lizzo can feel better about herself, so can I, right? But- right, right. And I think, you know, when that, that I, I love that you said that because a lot of people, when we think of body image and body acceptance, we tend to think of now the Lizzo's of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how do we, how do we do it as non-famous people? How do we do this at, and be ourselves? But the biggest question I have for you, because you said something that was, I found quite kind of interesting, which is, yoga therapy How, what's the difference between a regular yoga yoga class and a yoga therapy class well yoga therapists generally do far 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 more extensive training so a standard yoga teacher training is 200 hours so you're a standard yoga teacher comes out of their yoga teacher training with 200 hours of training which is mostly around um, postures and philosophy and how to actually instruct the postures. Yoga therapy takes a very different stance. It's like, how do you teach people? And people have individual problems. And how do you adjust the yoga practice to get the best results for an individual person? as opposed to um, here's a standardized class with 30 people in it and everybody's doing the same thing. Yoga therapists also have far, far, far more training. So, so I'm a thousand hour certified yoga therapist. So on top of my, yeah, on top of my 200 hours and then another probably like five, another 500 hours that I did, um, of, of training, like actually like going to class. I also did a thousand hours on top of that, of, of certification to be a yoga therapist. So a yoga therapist, generally, if, 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 you're, if you're encountering people with this accreditation, they've done a lot of training, a lot of training, and generally are going to be more adept at, uh, at tailoring even classroom setting yoga instruction for people uh, instead of just like, here's my class, take it. You know, like, oh, there's some people in my class. Let me teach. To oh, so them. in other words, this isn't the yoga class that guys go to to meet girls. Ah, uh, I don't uh. think so. Wait, do guys go to yoga to meet girls? I, I mean, this is like a huge thing. Like now, guys, it's 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 been for quite a few years. Where like a lot of guys, if you ask them, they're trying yoga to try to meet women. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like if you want to meet women, you should go where the women are and they are at yoga. (laughs) I mean, the proportions of men to women in yoga is 85% women to 15% men. So, so yeah, you'd have a lot of, um, of chance of this, but yes, this is not the kind of, I mean, I'm a yoga therapist and I teach classes, right? So you could come to my class hoping to meet a woman and just happen to stumble into my class. I'm a yoga therapist teaching class, right? But um, I, you know, I sort of, I don't know, I kind of, I would discourage this method of pickup actually, because I feel like for, for women, yoga is like a, like a very, like a sanctified space where they feel like safe. Yeah. Yeah. Protected. I tell guys this all the time. I tell guys this all the time. It's like, don't go to yoga to meet women. We're trying to, you know, find our balance at that point. Yeah. And interestingly, I mean, we're trying to find our balance. So we might be vulnerable. So it does feel slightly predatory, but the other thing is uh, one of my coaches told me that amongst the the biggest threats to marriage cited in, I can't remember where, but about a hundred years ago was yoga. Because, you know, what happens <laughs> when women go to yoga is they get empowered and then they leave their job or their, you know, cheating husband or whatever. So, and I was like, that's actually pretty accurate because I do wow. feel like, I do feel like yoga has been um, a big uh, site of personal development for women in the United really? States. Yeah. 
You're, this is surprising. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Surprising yeah, well, data. I mean, I mean, like you know, the fact that I mean, it's not it's not surprising in the fact that it's empowering. It's just surprising that you know, it's it's been cited as one of the hugest things. A hundred years ago, I don't know if they would if that would still be the 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 um the marriage breaker. The the home wrecker is yoga, but um, I mean, I kind of feel like. Yes, in a way. I mean, I, what I've noticed is that yoga isn't a thing that you can really, it, it, it does fit certain demographics. Like in, in the United States in the past five years, 10 years, uh, there's been a big press from within the yoga space to diversify because it has been historically a, a white female occupied space and, and that's problematic. So, right. But apart from that, what I've noticed is that the, 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 the through line for a person who comes to yoga is generally a person who's in transition and that transition. Yeah. The transition would be like, I just finished graduate school or I just am, I'm about to get married or I'm getting divorced or I lost my job or there was a death in the family. So some kind of like traumatic rupture sort of transition. And so, so what people are looking for, I think often when they go to yoga, apart from maybe feeling more relaxed or relief from back pain, is they're looking for some sort of grounding, some sort of way to make sense of right. the trauma that they've right. experienced, some sort of direction. Yeah. So, so um, what does this have to do with empo female empowerment? I mean, I think that we have had a long run of female empowerment. We're, we're in a huge upswing of female empowerment. And, and I could see how, like maybe in the, the 20s or the 30s, uh, you know, a, a century ago, that if you were a woman looking for places to be encouraged there maybe I don't know maybe there weren't that many spaces I'm just talking right. on my ass now I'm just I'm this is I know what I mean we can only right. speculate about back then because we don't live back then so right yeah so, so okay. how does body image affect mental health I mean intrinsically it's you can't separate these things out I think a person who has, uh, so, so let's talk about some different terms that I think sort of like slide through our vocabulary, like body image, self-esteem, confidence, <clears throat> I think are certain uh, words that slip around. So I think of body image as basically uh, the relationship, how you feel about yourself and the relationship that you've created with your body that then you project out into the world. So then that can show up in, in different ways. It can show up in terms of like self-esteem, uh, what you feel like you are capable of and confidence, kind of like how other people perceive your sense of self. Because confidence are usually, sometimes people feel confident, but I think the source of confidence is self-esteem. And sometimes people perceive other people as confident, even if they don't have self-esteem. Do you see the, the nuance there? Definitely. It took me a while. To, it took me a while to Definitely. sort it out because I feel Definitely. we sort of use these words like self-esteem and confidence kind of interchangeably, and they're actually not the same thing. See, okay, I need you to say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> I think. Well, I don't think I know that we do use the words self-esteem and confidence interchangeably, and they are not the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. So. What are the biggest obstacles for women now, as far as, but like knowing how to love our bodies? Well, first of all, I think that I think that actually the call to love our bodies is an obstacle, which is going to sound weird <laughs> because because now you know a little bit I, about who I am. But I, I don't I don't think it's weird because I think as women we are taught to be nurturers to everyone on the outside except for ourselves yes if that, that makes sense it does make sense yes we are taught to be caretakers of other people that's basically you know that is our that's our 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 born role in life take care of other people and so 
so what are the main obstacles to loving your own body? I don't think that's exactly what you said, but so, so a few things. One is um, that we don't know our bodies and, and, and the fact that we don't know our bodies is culturally produced in many ways and then reinforced in, inside of our societies and our family units. And so what does this mean? You, we don't know our bodies. It's like, we don't really have, we haven't been taught how to cultivate a relationship with our bodies, nor have we been taught that it is right. worthwhile exactly. or valuable. Exactly. So how do you love a thing that you don't know? How do you love a thing that you don't have a relationship with actually? It'd be like me saying, hey, there's a random person on the street. Can you love that person? And in theory, you'd be like, maybe, or yes, I can, I can summon an, a universal love for humanity and that person is part of humanity. So therefore they are in my circle of love, but that's not what we're talking about. You know? Right, right. right. And, and even, even something that I had experienced one time and gentlemen, close your ears. Um, <laughs> was I went to the doctor and um, the doctor says to me, you know, when they're asking you all the primary questions, well, could you possibly be pregnant? No. Um, well, are you on your period? No. And I, and, and I finally, like, I don't know, that day I was so angry. And I said to the doctor, I said, you know, there is a point between being pregnant and having your period. It's called mm -hmm. being Like, it was just like, <laughs> why are these the only two questions that you're asking me about me? Like, you know, my, my feminine health. Mm. And it's like, you know, and then even part of it, like the crazy part is they used to wait till women were in their fifties to ask them about menopause, but there are so many women going through perimenopause that in their thirties, they start asking you, well, are you pregnant? are you on your period or are you possibly going through menopause? And it's like, why is that the only thing that you know about a woman's body? Well, I mean, do you want me to answer that question? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, but the, the thing is it, 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 I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer it. No, no, no. I mean, that's what I was I, asking. That was like, I have some thoughts about that. Well, okay. Share, please. Please. Well, first of all, medicine, the, the medicine was founded on, on male bodies for the most part. So, so even uh, research about um, female bodies as experiencing symptoms, for instance, like heart attacks differently than male bodies is it's very right. recent. Right. right? So right. now we know that women don't experience heart attacks the same way as men do. Why is that? I don't know. You know, I mean, but that there should be research and data to find that. And, um, and basically, I mean, a woman's role in the world was as, as a, as a, as a child producer. So the only valuable data about, about a woman in the eyes of medicine was, are you pregnant? Are you menstruating? Or now we have, are you experiencing menopause? Because, because basically women's function in capitalist society is to is to birth labor, right? That's okay. And that that is what a woman's job is: is to produce workers, right? So any so, ooh, wait, wait, that hit me so deep. That hit me so deep. Repeat that, please. A, a woman's job in the world, at least in a capitalist society, is to birth labor. Wow. Okay. I don't know if anybody else got an aha moment, but I did. I, I really did. And and we don't think of it that way. No, we don't think about it that way. But when you think about um, reproductive laws and when you think about um, reproductive health medicine, it's it's I think only recently about the concern and safety of the mother. But, but I think this is why... Um, in certain parts of, the, of our society, it's just important that the baby is born. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, and it doesn't matter how that baby is going to be taken care of. It doesn't matter how the health of the mother. It's like we just need this. We need labor. 
Yeah. And, and, and one of the things I will tell anyone this, even when going into labor at a certain point, the health of the mother becomes secondary to yep. giving birth to the child. So everyone that's yep. like, oh, everyone needs to take care of me because I'm pregnant. This is the most, at some point during your labor, you know, when you are about to push your bundle of joy out, the doctors actually care less about you and your health than they do about the baby. And the crazy part is giving birth, most people don't realize, is you have a 50-50% yep. chance of life and death for the mother. Yep. And, and, I mean, and, and I mean, this hasn't changed. The thing is, and, and I'm sorry, Erica, but the thing is, okay. this hasn't changed in hundreds of years with the advent of new medicine, with technology, this, this ratio, this percentage has not changed. So we really have to think about this when we say, hey, you know, it's, it's just me. I'm so amazing. And I'm pregnant and this is beautiful and everybody's going to treat me special. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you get about seven centimeters. Yeah. And you feel like you're pushing a basketball out of your hoo-ha. You have babies. You have children. I yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this sounds like a person speaking from experience. Yes. Because they will literally tell you, well, yeah, we care about what's going on with you, but we need to make sure you have a healthy baby. So yeah, please, yeah. this is not to scare anyone. This is not to tell anyone not <laughs> to have children. And I hope I haven't scared any prospective mothers out there or people that are expecting, but I, I, you, you guys know me, I have to tell it like it is. I appreciate that. I think that there's a lot of mythology and deception around, uh, you know, pregnancy and childbirth. And, and because I come from this hippy dippy world, I think there are a lot of women working to, to dispel those sorts of myths, to keep women out of the hospitals, to that for natural child labor, which some people right, like, right. that's a horrible idea. But I'm just gonna say, like, I mean, uh, the, the rise of cesarean insection is is only. It's not about people's safety. It's about efficacy and money in the hospital. You know, so. Right, and right. I, I know, I know and that a lot of medical people are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Let but, me tell you something, ladies. The other thing is when you go for a C-section, find out who's doing your C-section. Because a lot of times, and I know there are probably some doctors that are going to be really pissed off about this, but a lot of times it is not your OB. They hmm. will do something like call in the head surgeon because you are having a major surgery. Yeah, it is a major a surgery. When you're having a cesarean section, you are having a major surgery. When you're having a natural birth, it is your OB or an OB that is on call. But when you are having a C-section, and I will tell you, this is from my personal experience. The person that did my C-section actually was the surgeon that took out my father's appendix. <laughs> wow yeah and it was funny because when my father found out he's like that's the same guy that took out my appendix wow yeah and you're like hmm this is very strange yeah but it is surgery it's not it's no longer birth it's surgery so I, I I'm sorry Erica I I I I tend to don't be sorry it's all good <laughs> <laughs> we're we're Roman you let me I let you roam it's a very it's a it's a loving, mutually affectionate relationship. Um, <laughs> but I do want to get back to this idea of, of uh, children as labor. So, so um, and this has to do with our relationships with our bodies that we haven't been taught how to have a relationship with our bodies. I mean, I'm still shocked some at, at the, the basic ignorance that many women have around even just like, um, even just like, uh, how does your menstrual cycle work? Like, when are you fertile? When are you not fertile? What, what is the effect right, of estrogen right. on you? What is the effect of progesterone on you? But side note, that was a side note. But I mean, if you think that, if you think that laws around reproductive health are about your safety or, or, um, 
right to life. Just look at China. China's laws around their one child policy, it was about control. It was about population control. And now they have a problem. Which right. Is that their population is sliding. Now they've lifted that law. So now you can have two, you can maybe have three, but nobody's going for it. And it is about population control. And, and population control is also about your labor force. And we're going to have a problem in the United States too, because, because pe- women aren't having children. Women are waiting later in life to have children. And our, our, the birth rate has, has fallen sharply. Thank and you. what that means, I mean, thank, thank you. you. The earth is like, thank you. But it does mean at a certain point, we're going to have a labor problem. And then if you think that, <laughs> I'm going to get on my soapbox right now. If you think that immigration laws aren't about labor and about labor control and about cheap labor, um, we, we need to rethink that. And now I've swung very far away from the topic of body. But I do think that it really starts with this because we have been taught that our bodies are machines. This is a very right, old right. concept. And why is it useful for you to think of your body as a machine? Because then when your boss says, sit at your desk from nine to five or 10 to six or whatever, and your body's like, this is terrible. This is awful. What you do is you squash that feeling. You ignore it because you, your body is a machine. It doesn't have a life of its own. It doesn't have feelings of its own. It doesn't deserve to be treated like an organic being. You have just been taught and we've all been taught for a very long time that you should do the work that you have been assigned to. And if your body protests, ignore. Oh, hold up. Hold up. Okay. We just had another say that again for the people in the back (laughs) moment. Oh my gosh. Erica is over here dropping gems. And if you are not catching them, you are missing out. Capitalism doesn't work if you don't ignore the needs of your body. That's just it. So we've been taught that our body is a machine because the machine is the instrument of capitalism. And by the way, I, I, I'm, I'm a capitalist. So I, I, I don't want anybody to listen to me and think like, she's hostile to capitalism and consumerism. She must be a socialist. Like, no, there is, <laughs> there is a middle path. There is a way that we could do this and people could have the things they want, the lifestyle they want without subjugating their body or someone else's body. Because the truth is that somewhere invisible to you, someone else's body is being subjugated. And let me tell you, they work for Amazon. They work for meat packing, packing industries. They work in sweatshop labor across the globe. Somewhere, some, somewhere invisible to you, someone's body is being subjugated so that we can have what we want. And that is troubling to me. And, and, and I think that there should be a way that we can have what we want without forcing other people's bodies to behave like machines or in sort of the blue collar, white collar. And I know I didn't just say exactly what I said, but I'm going on, but in sort of the blue collar or white collar sort of kind of work, it's that you sit at a desk, right? And right, sitting, right. At, sitting at a desk is like a new form of like treating your body like it's a machine. We're not designed to sit down and sit still for 10 hours a day. So when you have back problems, the, the solution that you're going to be, you're, you're going to be confronting is, well, my job is the problem. What do you do when you realize my job is the problem? Right. And right. the reason I have carpal tunnel, uh, low back disc injuries, what do you do? And what you, what you do, what people mostly do is they soldier on and they ignore those injuries until, until they can not any longer. And by that ah. time, by that time, it is an extreme problem, right? And this is, this is the toll that our labor force, which is basically everybody, has on their body from being taught to ignore their body. And this is men and women, you know? So we veered kind of from like women's health. This is men and women. And men, unfortunately, have been taught even more stridently to ignore the needs of their body. Although I do sometimes see that men do a much better job taking care of their bodies than women do, maybe because men have been taught that they are worth taking care of. Okay. Um, Okay. I'm, I'm not really sure. I haven't thought about this deeply. It's just sort of like a 
like a, uh, uh, um, it's just an ob- like a tangential observation I've had that right, I right, seem to be right. mu- much more pragmatic around eating well or exercising and prioritizing it. And I think that probably the main reason is that women have been taught to take care of other people and men have been taught to take care of themselves. Um, oh, okay, okay. I don't, I don't know. I'm just thinking, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. what, do, what do you think? I'm thinking out loud. Here. What do you think? I, I think because I do notice that I do, I do notice that men will, are more more prone to go to the gym like they'll take care of themselves they will do more things than women will you know she'll she'll I've even seen where women are preparing their husbands or their boyfriends gym bags but Hmm. they're not doing it themselves they're not you know interesting and 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 I think that's the crazy part is now the the other thing I will I have noticed and this is just something that I have seen where if he makes a health change she, her health benefits because she's preparing the food right so she mm-hmm. now starts to eat what he's eating but if she makes a health change in mm. some and and then this is okay everyone please listen (laughs) some not all so before everybody's like queen pin you know you shouldn't have said that and everybody it's not everybody you know i am not saying all Mm -hmm. but in some cases it's one of those well you're going to drink those smoothies or you're going to eat salads i'm not doing that so she ends up fixing two meals for dinner right right as opposed to the one. Yeah. Whereas if he decides to eat healthy, unless it's something she's seriously allergic to, she's going to ha- go ahead and fix that one meal and they're both going to eat healthier. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 I do that. That is what I have noticed that that's just my perspective. Again, as Erica said, this is my opinion, something I have mm-hmm. noticed. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's not like I've run a study on this, but that would be interesting, like to, yeah. that would be interesting from like a, like a public health sort of sociological perspective, like right, if, right. If, if there's a couple and we're talking about heterosexual, heterosexual couples. So if there's a heterosexual couple, I think that's what we're talking about. And the, and the man instigates the change, like what are the outcomes? But if there's, if the woman instigates right. the change, what are the outcomes? Like right. I, that right. would be very interesting. Right. Um, I, I think when it comes to, and the change you were pointing to specifically was food. And I think part of the thing about exercise for women is that um, like pleasurable movement of the body has become like, weirdly obsolete (laughs) it seems like you have to be doing something for your betterment and I feel like if it's pleasurable it's for your betterment but I also feel like pleasurable movement has been um taken away from women and repackaged and resold to them as something they should be doing in order to be good right which is why now it's like you have to like promote yoga and make it seem like it's so amazing you know as opposed to before where our mothers and our grandmothers did it and it was like you know because I I remember my grandmother being able at like 60 to be able to lift her foot over her head oh wow (laughs) she was accomplished yeah but the thing was she did yoga and and it was something that she enjoyed but it wasn't something that she went to a class for or you know but now it's like you kind of got to push it and tell women like, this is good for you, <laughs> you know? So that's fascinating. I mean, I think sometimes like just thinking about like how your grandmother found out about that or how she decided to teach herself because undoubtedly she probably had to teach herself. Right. 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 And, she did. And, 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 and those stories are really interesting to me, like sort of the pre pre-yoga becoming this outward facing thing that's like performative and like look at me doing something good for myself you know when it when it was just like a quiet internal thing like how women found out found out about that but also like um was that part of her self-instruction in self-care 
and and how did she get that idea that taking care of herself in that way was was um valuable or necessary and that's crazy because I I remember like every morning that was part of her like morning routine we weren't allowed to interrupt that Hmm. unless we were like joining her in stretching or joining her in you know poses and but it was like even sometimes when she didn't want us to join her that was her thing and I mean now being an adult I understand it I understand needing that moment to yourself but I mean as far as where she got that you know it was her me time or her self-care I, I I really don't know where she got that I think it's interesting because like I think you know you this the question that we are riffing on <laughs> very far and wide is what are the obstacles to loving your body right right right, right. and and some of them I think are birthed out of time and place and like generation. Yes. Yes. And, and, and there's like this, like that was your grandma. Like that's so fascinating. You, you would think that sort of based on kind of the historical narrative that I was just telling you about medicine and labor is like, is like that, that we should be getting better, but, but we should be getting better at this, but it sounds like your grandma was pretty good at it in a time yeah. when, in a time when that wasn't encouraged. And now maybe you just come from a long line of like counterculture, you know, um, you know, rabble rousers, instigators. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking to you and listening to you, you know? So, I mean, and, and I would say that that's sort of like I've always felt like an outlier and and that yoga was something that was definitely in her generation like on the fringe right and it was it was I mean I I had a boyfriend whose father was a professional musician he was a piano player and he also did did yoga and and you know did yoga every morning and learned it from a book and you know it's like well he was also a professional musician like piano player for like Louis Armstrong sort of professional musician. So, so he already was on the fringe, you know, he was already out there. Um, But you would think that the arc of time would be making this easier for us and, and that we would be better at it. And actually I feel like that's not what's happening. It doesn't feel like that's what's happening. And, and I think that the obstacles are, um, the primary obstacle I would have to say, Queen, I think is that people are being pulled outward more and more and more, right? And you can't create a relationship with your body if so much of your energy is outside of you, meaning like so much of the energy is outside, like right. looking looking at social media or doing right. a compare or I really think social media has been, I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag, right? Because social media has created a space for a lot of diverse representation. So people who ordinarily right. didn't, didn't see themselves now can see themselves. And I think mainstream advertising and branding brands, they're responding to that. And, and so I think that that's, that's really important that people see themselves and see representations of beauty and, and body size and skin color and ability. That's very, very um, eclectic. Right. But I also, for some reason, feel like, but it, I don't know if it's actually helping, which is right. confusing to me. I don't know how to make sense of that, except to say it feels like people are being pulled outward more because of the speed of life, which is definitely like happening at warp speed now, sort of as we come out of the pandemic or exactly, exactly. there's so many options for X, Y, and Z from fashion to food, to friends, to dating, to blah, blah, blah. And, and the way to create a relationship with your body is actually to, to stop all that and go inside. Right, right. Now, I do have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One question being, do you feel that former generations had better body acceptance than we do now? I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I mean, that's sort of what we're musing about. Did form, I mean... Maybe, I mean, I feel like body, like, 
like poor body acceptance um, has what sort of like came to view mostly around um, around fat acceptance, right? right so right. so so but 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 the but we can say well this goes might go hand in hand with the rise in obesity, right? right. In the United States, you know, and and there are many many reasons for that. Um, and I, I'm of a mind that, that social conditions and quality food source and DNA, like how did your mother experience food and stress and right. are, are genetic factors. But so I guess what I'm saying is I feel like if you look back at photos of people in the fifties, they mostly looked pretty fit. Right. right. And so this idea that, that an absence of, of, of acceptance of the body came into play around, around people being heavier, maybe as a thing, but I don't know. Right. Um, it doesn't seem, it wasn't a concern. It wasn't a valid concern until recently in part because of the, because of the questions that you asked, like how does body image play on mental health? And I think that our mental health is for many people intrinsically tied to how do they feel about themselves and how they feel about themselves may be um, intrinsically tied to how do they feel about their bodies and how do people react to their bodies and what are the experiences you have because of your body. Right. So those are my thoughts on question number one. How'd I do? <laughs> did I answer it? You did. You did. And, 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 and I love your answer. I love your answer. Now, yeah. my question and this is something that I noticed in the past, I would say two to three weeks. Have you kind of noticed after we've come out of quarantine that there seems to be more clothing or fashion geared toward real women? Meaning not just plus size, not just smaller, but in other words, there is more of a fashion sense geared toward the everyday woman. No one's trying to be really glamorous. No one's, and, 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 and I am calling it the Zoom generation, you know, mm, business mm -hmm. up top, yoga pants down bottom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. But in other words, it seems like everyone is more, because I've noticed it, it's, it's not, you know, you're not seeing the plus size clothing, which just has, the, and, and I don't understand this, who in the world thought that every plus size woman wanted to wear animal prints, like spots, stripes, <laughs> leopard print. I don't get it, but, but it's like, I have thoughts starting, about that. Yeah. You're, but you're starting to see more. And like I said, it's not just plus size, but you're start, starting to see, Hey, you know what? I could picture myself in that outfit. Or, hey, you know what? Where'd you get that t-shirt? Or where'd you get those pants? Where'd you get that dress? And, and it's really, really cool to me to be able to say that to someone without like, oh yeah, I found it and it's an extra, extra, extra small, or this only comes in a size 26 or, you know, mm. so it's like, you know, you're starting to see things for the in-between woman, which is making me so happy but do you think mm. that that was actually born out of quarantine? Maybe. I mean, I feel like, I feel like the brands have been grappling with how to, how to handle the call to action around more like normalcy, you know, and more like, right. Uh, right. Diverse representation, but also like, like, um, a colleague of mine in the body image world, I remember this blog that she wrote, which was like, I think it was called Ode to the Average Woman, you know? And it was just sort of like, it was her sort of, her, her musing on the fact that she's just sort of average size, you know, maybe like five, six, five, seven, not big, not thin, just kind of like in between it all, right? Which is where a lot of people fall is just kind of like in between it all. You know, and and I think that um, maybe the pandemic gave the companies a moment to 
reassess. Ah, okay. I like that. I like that. Right. To reassess and to create the strategy and to, um, and then to put it out there. Whereas when you don't have a breather, it's hard to shift directions, you know? So they were just, go- that, that's my hypothesis based on what, what you're, what you're seeing or what you're, what you're Right. I mean, I I love this. I love this. I I just wanted to ask you because in other words, when we talk about body to me, when we talk about body image, we can't just be talking about, Hey, you know, body acceptance or as some people love to put it fat acceptance Mm -hmm. or, you know, and, 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 and that's the thing is we all, like you said, we all have that muffin top. We all have that nose. We may like, like we may have fat wings. We may have, you know, so, but nobody's looking at it. And I mm-hmm. think for the first time to me that fashion has made it so it's kind of like, so what you have bat wings put on that tank top anyway, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and it's not in some weird color that you feel like, okay, I look like a glow stick in the middle of midnight. This is great. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah and I, I, but I do want to give credit where credit is due. And I think that a lot of that has been made possible because of the fat activists. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, and, and I love it. I love it. And, and, and I think, you know, because I did have a lot of conversations with people and they're like, but, you know, why should why should anyone want to accept Lizzo and she's so huge? And I was like, you know what? Have you checked out her face? Have you checked out her personality? She's a gorgeous woman who said, so what, I'm here. Like she plays the flipping flute. I can't play the flute. I play instruments and I can't play the flute. Like Mm -hmm. I'm super jealous. Like, can you play the flute? Like, you know, people are looking at me like, what does that mean? But it's, really? it's, it's, it's so crazy. Mm. And it's, it's like, did you take a chance to get to know her? She does things that I can't do. She does things that you can't do. So she is super, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I love Lizzo. She's like super awesome. One <laughs> of my, I, I mean, concur. And one of my, I, I can't remember where I learned this, but it was one of my fat activists, sort of people who I follow basically said that it, it bothers people so much when fat people um, live their life because they feel like they cut to the front of the line. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and it was like, I even got into, okay, yes, guys, I'm moment of transparency. The queen did get into a social media tiff with someone <laughs> it happens even to the queen. best of us queen i, I feel you <laughs> bad queen bad you know queen. when you're like you're like i shouldn't do this but i can't stop myself and then you're like i shouldn't have done that <laughs> yeah but she's like arguing how every woman should be a size two and i was like what based on what because that's what according to her that's what fit was and i'm saying some of the most fit women, a tall woman at a size two is going to look like she's just a skeleton with skin on it. Are you kidding me? Like, don't do that. Like everyone is not going to be a size two. I think that, you know, these sorts of arguments, what they always show to me is just how much that person hates themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not a consolation prize and it's not meant to be pitying. It's just like, if that person had more self-acceptance, they wouldn't be so judgmental of other people. And it's just, that's usually what happens is that the people who are most accepting of themselves are the most accepting of others. Right. It's like a very, it's a very, it's a very uh, neat equation in a lot of instances. And, right. and also, I mean, that person, it's just like, it's, you just want to, you want to say like, are you insane? This, this, this just obliterates uh, the, the stark evidence of biodiversity. Like not every person is, is supposed to be a size two. There's no way I could be a size two. Just measure my hips. What are you, what are you proposing that you break my pelvis? And like, 
and like re, uh, uh, realign it at, at, a, at the girth of a size two. To me, that's just like that person is, um, that person is crazy. And, and, and what has made them crazy and sorry, I mean, crazy can be like a mean word, but I'm saying like, it's a kind of insanity that descends on a person because they have invested themselves so hard in this particular frame of reference that it distorts their view, their, their capacity to perceive reality. It's just like, yeah, it's, I, I talk about it in my book, actually. Um, I talk about perfectionism and, and the, the Disney character icon for perfectionism is, is the queen in Sleeping Beauty. And, and if, you, if you pay attention to the narrative in the story, her quest to be the most perfect, the most beautiful, the fairest, excuses her impulse to murder. Right. Okay. In her mind. I'm, in her I'm mind. loving this. I'm loving this. You know why? Because you are talking and see, I, I, I just got some validation, guys. So Disneyfication is a thing. Oh yeah. I talk oh, about yeah. it all the time. Everybody's like, what the heck is Disneyfication? It's like the Disney <laughs> effect. So yeah, I, but I love this. I love this. And, and that is that is so valid and so on point that trying to be that beautiful, trying to be the best one out there. And like you said, she excused murder. She it ex excused in her mind, it excused murder. Yeah. And, and when I say that person is insane, that person is crazy, that's what I'm saying is that, is that something that they've invested in so deeply has warped their sense of, of reality and morality to an extreme degree. And, and to me, it's just like, it's, it's, um, it is, uh, a pathology worthy of examination, but also worthy of distancing yourself from as fast as you can, because that person, you can't rationalize with that person. You can just like, you couldn't rationalize with, with the, with the, um, the queen in sleeping beauty. There was no rationalizing with her. See, and so this is the reason why you guys need to buy her book. Like, oh, thank you. This is if if you're not if you're not get picking up these gems on what she is saying, because we can all preach to we're blue in the face, but the thing is, when you read it, when you see it for yourself, when you really start to sit down and think and meditate on some of these things and say, hey, you know what? That kind of made no sense. That, that, that's not right. That type of thinking stilts us. So guys, if you are not trying to figure out where you can get this book, you definitely need to be figuring out when you're going to pick up this book. Thank you, Queen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Can I can I follow up? I'm loving your my book promotion. Thank you so much. But can I follow up to sure? We definitely, definitely. Please. At the core of it, what motivates us is our emotions, and. In in Buddhism, they say that the the most profound wisdom comes from your body because that's where you experience your emotions. But your emotions can take you in multiple directions, right? And and I think that broadly, what we've been taught is not to trust our emotions. And I think that we're coming out of that into a place where we can trust our emotions. But so for your person who thinks that everybody should be a size two. Another reason there's no reasoning with that person is because, because what is driving their expression of their version of reality <laughs> isn't logic, it's emotion. And I don't know what happened to them to, to warp them to this degree where they need this version of reality to be true in order to feel safe or good or valid or whatever, right? But it does spring from an emotion. So I just want to like, I want to point that up because emotions are always driving us. You know, I think this is well-documented, particularly around elections that most people are making their electoral decisions based on emotions and we're just never going to escape it. And so 
this is another reason we need to befriend our bodies because the more that we are friendly with our bodies, the more that we can identify the emotion that we are experiencing and then, and then work to direct our behavior in ways that is self-healing, that is self-accepting and therefore self heals other people and is accepting of other people. Like, I don't want to live in a world where the, where this idea of conformity is is standardized, you know, um, I want to live in a world where 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 representation is standardized, and and I think that this ad this aligns with a version of the world that you know let's just call it our creator made is like there's a reason there's biodiversity, there's a reason there's like eight million species, it's because that is that is the law <laughs> a healthy planet functions on biodiversity and i think that a healthy human species also functions on biodiversity and an an emotional space where we feel safe being ourselves no matter what we look like no matter how able we are no matter the color of our skin like this is the thing that makes a, like like a utopia that would make a, a peace on earth is that if everybody accepted themselves and accepted other people. And that starts, I think, with how you relate to your body. Full stop. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I tell you, I, and I've said this before when I have been on with other New Yorkers, but New York women are different from any other women around the country. <laughs> we are, we are so yeah. different. We are so different. So different. I love yeah. this. You know what, Erica, tell everyone where they can find your book, where they can find you if they want to take one of those amazing courses. And Thank girl, you, so you, much. Need teaching, you need to be teaching some master classes, like seriously. Uh, thank you so much. I, I haven't taught one in a long time, in part because with the pandemic, I really just sort of like knuckled down and was taking care of my private clients and, and really walking my walk and talking my talk, taking care of myself, which meant a lot of rest and a lot of introspection and a lot of like home cooking and a lot of connecting with the people I love, you know? So, but yes, I will, I will rev up the masterclass machine. Um, but to your question, um, my website is www.ericamather. It's E-R-I-C-A-M-A-T-H-E-R, no S, singular, ericamather.com. And the book, what would be most helpful to me if you're listening and you feel inspired and have a little extra time would be to inquire about it at your local bookstore, ask them to order it, ask them to invite me for a talk or something. Uh, but if you are short on time and patience and, and energies, just go to Amazon and buy a copy. It's called uh, Your Body, Your Best Friend and the Confidence Crushing Pursuit of Unrealistic Beauty Standards and Embrace Your True Power. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know how I feel about small businesses. So get out there, go to your bookstore, special order it, ask them to order a case, get your friends together, make a book club and tell them, go have everyone go in there and say, Hey, you know what? I need this. We yeah. all need this. And believe it or not, I, you know, I always tell you guys, knowledge is power, but if you have at least 10 to 20 people go in and ask for the book, they will at least order one case and trust and believe, go to brunch, sit there with the book on your table. Have you and three or four of your friends mm. sit there with the book on the table. Somebody's going to ask about that book. They're going to ask where you can get it, where you can find it. So yes. Mm. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Thank <laughs> you very much, Queen. I appreciate that. Yeah. And for those that don't know, you always know if you missed anything that we just said, you can find all of her information in the show notes. So you a thing. <laughs> just click. Exactly. Exactly. Just click. Yeah. So Erica, it has been amazing talking to you. We have to do this again. I have to have you on again. Yes, you know I don't offer and extend the re-invitation very often, but you know, New Yorker to New Yorker, you have to be on again. We, we have to continue this conversation. I would love to continue the conversation, Queen, and I really appreciate the, the, the invitation. I'll take you up on it. 
um, I, I feel like we just scratched the surface, New York we friends. Did. And, and, and I'm telling you that we just scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Erica. Thank you, Queen. Thanks to all the listeners who tuned in today. I really appreciate you sticking around and listening to us. Thank you. So guys, I hope that you enjoyed this. And like I said, go out and get her book. You will miss out if you don't. She's been dropping gem after gem after gem in this interview. So yes, all of her information is in the show notes. So you won't miss a thing. But as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey, this is Chewy host of Screaming Chewy Show podcast, and you're currently listening to CQP Moments. Stay tuned.